So it's really all in how you kind of tell a story. Is it love or is it pain? Is it optimism? Is it pessimism? Is it realism? Um, what is it like, you know, to really be human? But it's really just kind of how you tell a story, isn't it? And you and I are really good at telling our stories, but we're really good at telling the story we want people to hear. Like I could stand up here today and say that the Baylor Bears dominated yesterday and won the Southwest Conference Championship, right? But if you watch the game, you know they won it by an inch, barely an inch. It's all in how you tell a story. Glass half full, glass half empty, we're not sure. Is it love? Is it pain? That's what it's like to be human. That's, that's what it's like to be you and I. We are the top of the food chain in a sense. We have, we're sentient beings. Uh, you know, we, we can think and feel and choose. And uh, we're, not, we're not like the dogs or the cats that we have at home. Um, we, we, and I don't know if you're a dog or a cat lover, you know, please forgive me, but your dog or cat's not like you, no matter how you treat them, okay? They're not at the top of the food chain in that sense. They're not, they're not human. And, and they, they don't create a story and live it out and feel the kind of love and the kind of pain that you and I feel. It's just, it's just not a part of, of anything other than, than us. I think you all know where it started. I'm just going to remind you of a few things today. Uh, probably not going to inform you or give you new information, but just maybe try to sew some things together here as we begin this series on hu- being human. Because, you know, it began at the very beginning of the Bible. We see this uh, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God creates the heaven and the earth. And he puts Adam and Eve, these two individuals, in this place that has everything that they could ever need in their lives. But unfortunately, he created Adam and Eve as sentient beings. They had a chance, the ability to to choose, to want. And there was another being in the world already created before them. There was a being that had rebelled from the creator God. And he shows up in this perfect place. And he gets in a conversation with, with Eve uh, but if you read the text very closely, you, you discover that Adam's there listening. He's not far away because at the end of this conversation, Eve decides to go outside the boundaries that God had set for them. He said, look, here's everything you need. I am the inventor of life. I wrote the manual. If you need to fix anything, here's the manual. I wrote it. You've got everything you need. But there's this one thing. That if you do go over there and, and, and you do partake of that, you will have knowledge that you can't handle. Yeah, that's actually in the Bible before it got in a movie. Okay? So Adam and Eve, unfortunately, saw everything they needed, but they, they had some wants. They didn't trust the Creator God. They didn't trust that he had their best interest in mind, and so they trusted themselves and their wants, and so 
they go over there and they gain a knowledge that they can't handle. And they mess up the world. I mean, that's the point where the world gets broken. Not just humans, but also the world itself, the physical world is broken. We could fast forward all the way to Paul in writing in this big, huge book of Romans. And he talks about the world longs for its redemption. The dirt, the plants, the earth, this thing that we sit on, this, this blue globe that floats out in space longs to be redeemed. Everything got broken. Everything got broken. And unfortunately, the world was broken from then on. And if you look at the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, all keep going all the way through, you see that it's nothing more than a creator God attempting to help people that he had created and given a space for everything they need to get back into his family. To discover what it was like to get back into his favor and to live in his favor. And he, he, and he begins just stretching and stretching and stretching and stretching and stretching to get this family back together. The entire first half and second half of the Bible is really about that. If we just simply ask a question, what does God want? He wants a family. And, and that controls the book of Genesis through the end of Revelation. God wants a family and a cell phone. Uh, sorry about that. That family wasn't always uh, understanding of what God wanted. You see, in a broken world... Uh, we have a hard time understanding uh, where we are and, and what our red dot is. And if there's any one thing that I think plagues people in their own spiritual journeys, and, and when I say spiritual journey, I, I mean life in general, really. I mean, that, to me, at the core of, of everything we're about, we are creating spiritual beings. And if, and if you don't get that right, you don't get anything right. And, and, and what's, what we struggle with as, as human beings, is identifying that red dot. You ever had that frustration, someone call you and want directions? And you're on the phone with them, and you say, well, where are you? You know, and the, my kid's first response was, well, if, if I knew where I was, I wouldn't be calling. And my, my response is, well, if you don't know where you are, I can't help you get someplace. Because you must know where you are so I can give you directions to get someplace. You've got to have a point of reference. And that point of reference is absolutely, unequivocally, the most important understanding that you can have to get someplace. And you and I as human beings, when it comes to our brokenness, as we go through life, we deal with it. Maybe it's too simplistic, but we deal with it either we're optimists and we think that we're good and most everybody else is good except for, you know, serial killers and all that kind of stuff. Or we're pessimists over here and we think 
you know, everyone else is bad and, you know, that kind of stuff. Or we're realists, we're struggling with the anxiety of life, we're trying to fit the pieces together, trying to figure out what does it look like to find my red dot. We have a self-preservation gene in us. And, and I'm not sure if it's a gene, really. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure that it's a physical gene, but somehow it connects to us. We have a, a desire to preserve ourselves. And so when someone else points out our brokenness, that gene rears up. You know what it's like, right? Someone points out things that you've done wrong, and instead of your first reaction to be honest about it and just assess, well... Are they speaking truth or, or not? Um, is that really the, the, the case in my life? Did I do something or say something? Or you know, did I act in such a way that, that I need to really assess what happened? I don't know about you, but that's not my first reaction. My first reaction is to figure out what's wrong with them. So if they're going to tear me down... My first offense is to tear them down. Well, you're no saint yourself. And uh, I grew up with a sharp tongue. I don't know if it was a gift of my mother or my father or what it was, but, but just the ability to cut back really quickly at people, sarcastically, sort of undercut them, take their legs out from under them as they're attacking me. That self-preservation comes up. But that does not help me get to my red dot. Owning my red dot becomes one of the most important issues in life because it is the reference point from which I can move, I can grow, I can become fully human the way God intended me to be. Not a broken human, but fully human. And the reality is, is that whether or not you are willing to admit it or not, you're broken. You're really broken. Now, I know your self-preservation gene's just starting to kick in, right? Well, look at you. You drive that piece of crap Toyota RAV out there, you know? Well, I mean, come on. I love that Toyota. From the beginning of the Bible, through the end of the Bible, the message about you and I and our brokenness is fundamentally clear. I mean, there's no secrets about it. But again, it, it's all in how you tell the story, right? Isaiah, he, he was a prophet in, in the first half of the Bible. He, he spoke for God, and his words were recorded in a big book um, in the sec, uh, first half of the Bible. And he says this, he says, um, and it, it has a context to it. It goes down, he builds up to this, but uh, sort of the... The, the, when he hits the symbol and, and the ringing message in this passage is all of us have become like one of us who is unclean. All of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. Just a, a, a pretty clear understanding of uh, all of us sit like that. You know, from Billy Graham to the Pope to Mother Teresa, whoever you want to pick as a saint sits under that. And if that's not enough, you come back to the second half of the Bible, 
that guy Paul that I mentioned a few minutes ago writes in that really long book, Romans. And he says, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is none who does good, not even one. And he goes on and on and on. It's like, okay, okay, okay. Give me a break. I get it. I'm broken. And so embracing that idea, it becomes vital to beginning our spiritual journey. Because if you're not broken, all right, then the whole idea of why Jesus came becomes nothing other than than a story of child abuse. A father sending a son to die on a cross, for what? If he doesn't die for something real, if he doesn't die for something valuable, if he doesn't die for something that has eternal value, then that story is one of the cruelest stories that you could ever imagine. And so for you and I, for you and I, the the story is this, that we're broken. That we are, in fact, in need of something. And so we have to embrace that. Now, we deal with it in a number of different ways. I find that the, the, the major way that people try to deal with our brokenness is to try to fix ourselves in such a way that we could see that God would smile on us. But the fact is, is that being broken means that you're unfixable. When was the last time that your dishwasher fixed itself? Right? Your car dies along the side of the road, and you wait for 10 minutes for OnStar or whatever, and you lay your hands on your hood, and you pray, Jesus, in the name of Jesus, heal yourself, vehicle. Now, maybe you've got a story like that. I think God could heal a vehicle. I do believe that. But, but I find that most of the time that's happened to me, my car cannot fix itself. Things just don't fix themselves, right? We are so embroiled in stuff. It's like that proverbial fish that doesn't feel wet. The surroundings around us are, are such that it feels normal. And in that normalcy, to find ourselves out of what is really abnormalcy, right? We, we think of it as normal, but it's abnormal. Where we're swimming and the things we're doing, the choices we're making, the kinds of, of systems that we develop to survive, they're abnormal. And until we take a position to acknowledge that as our red dot, I'm here, I need fixing. And we just sort of craft a strategy to get along. We use hope as our strategy. I hope things will be different, but hope's really not a strategy. And so the reality is, is for you and I to come to that point where we embrace that. Now, again, it's how you tell a story. Because there are some people who hold the Bible high, who would think that, that that story is to condemn you, that story is to make you feel bad, you need to feel as bad as you can, you need to, you're a piece of crap, and you should, yeah, da, 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 all that kind of stuff. But it's how you tell the story, because that's not the whole story. 
Certainly, there were consequences to Adam and Eve's actions, but it didn't end the pursuit of their father in heaven. In fact, we have the story of the first half of the Bible, God pursuing humanity, choosing Abraham, and attempting to make him an instrument to bless the entire world through the Jewish people, ultimately the Messiah, Jesus and this thing we call ecclesia, this thing, this, these called out ones, people who are then called into the family and have a chance to be involved in the family business of finding they're not yet brothers and sisters in, in Jesus to be a part of this biblically functioning community. You see, it's, it's only a part of the story that you're broken. It's not the whole story, and we're going to sort of piece this story together as we move down through this month. But, but the fact is, is that beginning, starting, getting a, a, a fresh take on where we are is most important. It, it's why other people are important in your life. If there's any one thing the pandemic has done, it's driven us into isolation. Now, I, I know it's killed a lot of people. But... We're looking at the number of people who've died from COVID. And at some point, we're going to start looking at the number of people who are dying from isolation, physically dying from isolation. Because you and I were not built to live in isolation. To actually understand our red dot, we need one another. That's why at the very end of the Bible in a, a book called Hebrews. Verse 10, 24 says, Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves again. Don't stop gathering. And I love the, the word there. It says, so, so that you can provoke one another to love and good deeds. I, I love that word. It's a gift that God has given me. You know, gift of provocation. You won't find it in the gift lifts, that kind of stuff. But, but um, it just comes naturally. You and I need to provoke one another to love and good deeds. We need to help each other find our red dots. We need to see for one another what we can't see for ourselves. We, we need to have the kind of, of attack on our self-preservation that we lower our shields and allow other people to speak into our world so that we have a 360-degree view of where we are. Now, I would say that those people need to be people who love you. I mean, there are a lot of people, if you give permission to speak in your life, um, it might not be a good thing. You know, some of the people that you just ate dinner with at Thanksgiving, or some of the people you'll have to eat dinner again at, at Christmas, uh, people who really shouldn't be speaking in your life because you don't feel like they have your best interest in mind. But when you find people who have your best interest in mind, you have people who will love you enough to tell you the things that you don't see that might hurt for a moment. Then you're going to find your red dot. You're going to embrace your brokenness. You're going to feel your wetness. And you're going to discover that the journey you're on can take a huge lift. It's like getting a, a, a squirt of high-octane fuel when you're used to running on low-octane fuel and you feel life 
the kind of life that God intended. One of the passages that, that really sends at the base of this whole series is found in John chapter 1. I want to read a portion of it to you as, as I finish today. I, 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 because it, is, it wraps up everything that this entire series is going to talk about. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet... To all who did receive him, to those who believed, who trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh, became human, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, in this messed up, broken world that you and I live in, God decided to take on human flesh to solve the issue that we have to help us face our brokenness it is difficult for you and i to face our brokenness ourselves, just like it's difficult for us to fix ourselves it's difficult for that dishwasher to fix itself but that verse in is it's verse 12 in john chapter 1 he says to as many as received him because means received him. What does it mean to receive someone? You know, I get people knocking at my door, and I look at them. I have a big, huge glass pane in my door. It's really thick. The only thing that's ever penetrated it is one of my children when the other ch child threw them through it. Um, but other than that, it's pretty impenetrable. Um, and, and I look there, and I'm, I'm deciding where, whether I'm going to receive them or not. And, and if it's a person holding, you know, paper or something, and I realize it's, it's a politician or some cult member that's coming to help me, you know, believe in something different than the Bible or whatever, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not receiving them. They're staying on my porch. I'm getting rid of them as fast as I can. But if it's my next-door neighbor or, or someone in the neighborhood or a friend or whatever, I'm receiving, I'm, I'm opening the door, I'm inviting them in, and I'm showing them hospitality. And so the, 
the beginning of addressing our brokenness is making sure that we have a hospitable relationship with the Word. Jesus, who became human to address our brokenness and humanity. Finding out that I, I can invite them in my front door. Um, you know, I, I don't have a real cleanliness thing going on. I, if you come to my house, it's a mess. I don't care, but my wife does. I mean, she really cares. And so if, if I say, hey, so-and-so came over today, so where did you take them? <laughs> I said, well, um, and then, you know, I choose my words carefully. <laughs> and we're all like that, aren't we? I think we can be hospitable to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I, I, want, I, I want the word that became flesh. I want you to dwell in my world, but I got rooms that you can't go in. I got closets that, that, that you will never see. And it's not being the kind of hospitable that, that's talked about in this passage, to receive someone, especially if you've ever traveled overseas and seen the hospitality that comes from other cultures. When you come into their home, everything they have is yours. They will feed you, they will clothe you, they, and even if they don't have the kind of money that, that you have, they will be charitable beyond reason. And that's what it means to receive. It means to move into that dangerous point of saying, okay, this is my red dot. I'm not sure whether I'm a pessimist or I'm an optimist. I'm not sure if I'm a realist or not. I feel the difference between pain and love, and I'm not sure. I, I know I'm human. Okay, Jesus, let's take a ride. Let's do this. I, I, I'm going to let you address my brokenness. I'm going to risk the fact that that closet has some ugly stuff that no one knows. And I'm going to let you see it. You know what's fascinating about this? If you read the Bible from front to back, you discover that in this passage, you know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word was Jesus, right? The Word became flesh and dwelt among us in verse 14. The Word is Jesus. So, so Jesus is God. So what does that mean? It means he is so abundantly clear about what's behind the door in that closet that you won't open. He knows how ugly it is. He knows even more ugliness than you know about yourself. And he's still willing to come through the front door. You know, that, that's the story. That's how you tell the story. I could leave you at brokenness. I could leave you at Isaiah 6, 64, 6, with, you know, all of your good works of filthy rags. You know, or I could leave you at Romans 10. Ah, you're just, you know, no one sees that. Ah. But that's not how God tells the story of our humanness. God became human so that you and I might have the opportunity to address our brokenness, discover our red dot, and actually move toward the life that he offers. Let's pray. Father, we are profoundly grateful for this story. Even though 
we don't understand it completely. Some of us are new to it. Um, it doesn't make sense to us. Others of, it, others of us seem to be immune to it. We've heard it so much. Especially at this time of year when all of a sudden our nativity sets come out and, and we sing these Christmas songs that we, we long. But we discover, Father, that, that you, in fact, are a God who's nostalgic. You long for your family. You lost it in that garden when Adam and Eve chose to distrust you. And you have been working to get your family back together for all of human existence. And so, Father, we want to feel like it's what it's like to be in your family. We want to acknowledge our brokenness. We want to invite you in with the kind of hospitality that says, let's go on a journey. I know it's going to hurt. I want to feel your love, and I know I need to feel the pain. Father, thank you that the Word became human and dwelt among us to knock down our desire to preserve ourselves and to find life like you intended it. Father, we bring these things to you in Jesus' name.